Spotify, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Anchor.fm. And of course, if you're watching here on YouTube, please click that subscribe button down below and the bell for continued notifications if you haven't done that already so that you can receive notifications whenever new content is published. Um, what makes for a good work? Uh, I know this is this is a very practical question. This is a question that uh, that many Christians wonder about, and and in fact, it's a it's a question that I think helps us if we can answer it properly. I think it helps us understand our profound need for the grace of God through Christ, because when when we when we see what what is what is entailed by a good work only then will we understand how far short we fall of actually having good works even as christians so when we look at our at, at our works as christians we can understand that hey even 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 as good as i think this was yet it it still falls short of the requirement therefore I fly to Christ because Christ stood in my place. His good works were perfect. They were uh, unmixed. That is to say, they were not mixed with sin like all of our good works are. And the only reason any of our uh, good works are are declared to be good and and acceptable in the sight of God is because our good works as Christians or our works uh, that are done in accord with the law of God, are justified themselves in Christ as well. And so the only reason that any of our works are received by God or accepted by God is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not acceptable in his sight uh, because they were done in in, in, in a perfect uh, conformity to the law. They are accepted by him because they are, uh, they are, they are they are accepted through Christ. Um, so let's let's look at uh, let's look at at good works. What what makes for good work? And I'm gonna I'm gonna refer to Turretin here, who I think is very helpful on this. This is also gonna get us to hopefully later on in this in this conversation. This is also gonna get us to um, the virtue the the virtues of the heathen. Uh, and um, and how we should understand the virtues of the heathen. Obviously, we perceive that there has been some kind of good uh, in the heathen, but when you read uh, Reformed authors, uh, sometimes I think modern readers are confused by what Reformed authors are actually saying about the so-called good works of the heathen, because what, what someone like Turretin would say is that, you know, the works of the heathen uh, were not good, and he he agrees with Augustine in calling in calling them uh, splendid sins. That at bottom, all of all of these virtuous works that the heathen did accomplish were sinful because they were not done out of a true uh, heart that had been changed by the Holy Spirit of God and 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 given a true and saving faith. And so um, we'll get to that part of the conversation here in a moment. But but first, let's go through uh, what makes for a good work. And Turretin outlines. Uh, three things, and um, I'm going to uh, read those three things. We'll go through them systematically, and um, and we'll also uh, look at the associated uh, scripture references that he uses. But 
the first thing that Turton says, and again, there are three things here, but the first thing that he says is um, that, there are, that there are three things that are altogether required for a good work. And then he says, first, on the part of the principle that it proceed from a heart purified by faith. So if, if, if a work, as, as good as it may appear externally, does not proceed from a heart of faith, it is not a good work. It doesn't meet that requirement. Uh, and, and again, we're evaluating goodness in light of what God would consider good. Uh, we're not just evaluating goodness in terms of what results in the comfort of man or even the, the common good, so to speak, of man. Uh, we're, we're talking about goodness uh, as, it, uh, as it is held up to uh, the righteous standard of God. And if, if, if an act that is perhaps good in and of itself comes from a person whose heart is, is not motivated by a true and saving faith, then it, it is not it fails to be a good work properly so called or a good work per se. Now, if you look at Acts 15, uh, in verse seven, beginning in verse seven, we read, "Men and brethren, you know that a good that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word uh, the word of the gospel and believe." So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. All right. The idea here is that their, their hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit. They have been given the uh, infused theological virtue of faith, which they would not have had if they remained in their paganism and thus they walk according to that faith. And, and we know from other places in Scripture, uh, you know, Romans uh, 14, 23, for example, whatever is not from faith is sin. And so one of the things that, uh, that, that makes for a good work is a heart that's been changed by faith and works that are done from a heart that has been purified by, uh, by faith. And so that's the first thing. The second thing that Turretin says is this. The second thing that makes for a good work. On the part of the form or mode, that it be done according to the law of God. So it, it can't, you know, a good work can't just be defined however we want it to be defined. A good work is not just uh, a suggestion or opinion, uh, walking in accord with the suggestion or opinion of man, um, but is, is defined formally by the law of God. And so a good work must, must be uh, evaluated in light of that law. Um, if you if you read Romans seven, uh, particularly Romans seven, uh, verse fourteen, uh, Paul says, "For what I am doing, I do not." Or, oh, actually, verse four. That was verse fifteen. Verse fourteen, he says, "For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin." And so uh, the idea here is that if you're not you know, if a good work is not uh, is not coming from a a place of obe of obedience to God's law, uh, then it is it is considered carnal, not spiritual, but carnal. Uh, it, it's not it's not in accordance with the righteous standard of God. Uh, the third thing that Turretin says is on the part of the end or the goal that it be done to the glory of God. And of course, we have 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
And so those three things, uh, just to summarize, you know, basically what Turgeon says, on the part of the principle, it proceeds from a, a purified heart by that's been purified by faith. So that's the first thing. Uh, secondly, it's in accord with the law of God. Uh, and it's uh, we, we, of course, understand that the law is not only external, but it's spiritual as well. Uh, the law that is written on the heart of, of the regenerate man uh, that has been given as a gift within the context of the new covenant, um, that true obedience um, is, is in accord with that law. Uh, that's the second thing. The third thing is that, of course, uh, a good work is ordered to the glory of God. If it's not ordered to the glory of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then, of course, it cannot be truly good. All of those things have in common uh, the necessity of regeneration, the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, as we look at the idea or the concept of the virtue of the heathen, I think uh, uh, what's what's helpful to us is, is to understand that when the reformers or the reformed orthodox mention good works, they're first mentioning something that is to be evaluated, um, to use, for lack of better terminology, from God's perspective. Uh, this is a, this is a, these are works that are, are good in his sight. So that's the question, right? What, what are works that are declared to be good in the sight of God? Uh, the heathen, of course, cannot have works that are declared to be good in the sight of God because they don't meet these through these three uh, these uh, this criteria these three marks right that it comes from a heart of faith uh, that is done in accord with the true law spiritual law of God and that it is ordered to the glory of our triune God. Uh, the heathen do not have works like that. However, in a sense, the heathen do, in another sense, the heathen do have good works. And so this is where the concept of the virtues of the heathen come into play. Uh, do they have good works per se or good works properly so-called? No, because they, of course, do not meet the criteria that we've already walked through, the criteria that's required from Scripture and observed by the Reformed Orthodox. So in that sense, they're not good works. They're not good works properly so-called. However, um, there, uh, Turretin qualifies. He says, he says, uh, and this is the fifth question: the virtues of the heathen. This is, um, uh, this is the. Let's see. This is the first volume, toward the very end of the work. If you're if you're reading the PNR print edition, six eighty three uh, is the page number. Um, but he says, he says, we say two things uh, about the virtues of the heathen. First, although we confess that some good can be found in these actions, as to the external honesty of the act commanded by God, and which therefore cannot but be good, still we deny that they can be called properly and univocally good works as to the truth of the thing and mode of operation, which is what we just went through, right? So he's saying that, well, they don't meet the criteria for proper good works, However, as to the acts themselves, and insofar as they conform to the letter of the law of God, they can't but be good, right? So there, there is a goodness there. And some, some theologians and, <clears throat> and pastors um, have made a distinction between, you know, redemptively good works, which would be proper good works. Uh, they meet the criteria that, that Turretin has walked us through here. Uh, and civilly good works. 
Civil good, civil good works would be those works which, although they do not stand up to this criteria uh, that Turretin's walked us through, nevertheless, they do result in the good of mankind and, uh, and the acts themselves conform to the external letter of the law of God. And so in that sense, they, they cannot but be good. All right, so I think that's very helpful to understand. So, so when you when you look at the reformers, sometimes what ends up happening is a great deal of confusion because you'll you'll be reading, uh, for example, Calvin or uh, or someone like Turretin, and and you read Calvin's harshness toward the heathen, but then you also understand that well, wait, Calvin read Cicero uh, once a year. So, uh, read through Cicero once a year. I don't know if he read De Finibus. I can't remember which, which work of Cicero that he, that he read through once a year. But he, he read through Cicero once a year. And so, you, how can, on the one hand, how can Calvin and the first, first and second gen reformers and then the Reformed Orthodox, how can, they, how can they condemn the heathen and all of their works so harshly on the one hand and yet show appreciation in other places on the other? It seems to, it seems to present to us a conflicted imagery in the reformers and the and the post-reform uh the post-reformed orthodox um could they not make up their mind about the heathen well no uh they were making careful distinctions and that careful dis the, the careful distinction between good works properly so-called that meet this criteria and good works in the sense that the act itself is good conforming to the external letter of the law uh, they were making that distinction, and so they were able to, on the one hand, appreciate things that the heathen did. On the other hand, they were able to condemn everything the heathen did because, after all, as good as the acts were and as well conformed to the letter of the moral law they perhaps were, they yet did not stand up to this, this criteria that can only be met within the context of redemption and God's redemptive work on the hearts and on the souls of believers. So uh, I hope that's helpful. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much more time on that, but I do think that that's helpful in terms of as you read through uh, the Puritans, for example, you see their harsh condemnation of the heathen, rightly so, on the one hand, and then their appreciation of the heathen on the other hand, you know, referring to Aristotle's uh, Nicomachean ethics. Uh, Thomas Watson does this quite often, but yet also condemning the ethics of the heathen. Well, how can they do that? Well, they're making careful distinctions that I think we should make today. While the external acts themselves of the heathen often conform to the external letter of the law uh, rather well, and they can be con commended insofar as they did, yet they did not meet this redemptive criteria, this criteria really that can only be met in Christ uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit. So um, take that for what you will. Hopefully that helps you to read um, authors like Turretin and you know Calvin and, and others. Uh, God bless. Have a wonderful day.